Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Fitzpatrick, and joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, who may not be joining us for the next two weeks. We'll talk about that in a second. AKP's got a big trip coming up. AKP, konnichiwa. How are you? I am good. Thank you for asking. Excited for going to Japan, which is, is ah. been a, a trip that's been on the bucket list for a long time. It was originally going to be my my honeymoon. Our honeymoon was going to be there, and then you know COVID. So COVID. Excited to get out there, and we've got a a pretty fun replacement guest host for while I'm out. Well, I don't know all, if we want to spoil that. Let's talk about it. But no one can replace. No one can fill your shoes adequately. But please let the listeners know who will be slotting in for the two weeks that you're gone. We're still going to be broadcasting. We're still going to have a couple episodes. But please, who's filling in for you? Yeah, I'll be leaving you in the very capable hands of Ryan Yi, formerly of the the Road to Glory podcast. So should be familiar to the listeners here. Yeah. Figured a familiar voice. One we're both familiar with, too work with him on the uh the fantasy ruckers stuff and so yeah should be a should be a fun time i you know honestly when yeah. i listen to podcasts i always like when guest hosts come on and sort of shake things up for a, an episode or two i always think it brings a bit of flavor so you know yeah prevent us from getting getting stale and boring <laughs> well i'll tell you what when you come back we definitely need to have um Ryan back on the show because you mentioned the fantasy ruckers. I would like to talk a little bit about MLR and, and fantasy rugby and kind of that little project, how we're all involved. And we don't need to bore the, the listeners too much with it, but just to let them know that, hey, you know, much like in the NFL and, and other major sports, there are fantasy leagues out there that are compiling player stats and having a lot of fun with it. I think it's the next development and evolution of fandom and MLR. And it's just a little project that the E brothers spun up and we've got, you know, caught in their orbit and it's been fun ever since. So I do want to talk about that as we get closer to the start of the MLR season. I'm excited for, for Ryan to jump in. It's good to know that we've got, you know, like a a pinch hitter there waiting on it in case, you know, for whatever reason I'm out one week or you're off flying to somewhere else around the world, you know, jet setter that you are. It's good to know we've got a, a a a capable wingman just in case. So awesome. So that'll be next week, starting next week. But moving on, AKP. Woo wee! I'm gonna say it right here and right now. On paper, Old Glory DC is having the best MLR offseason as relates to player signings. Do you agree or disagree? Absolutely agree. I mean, the the quality of players that are being brought into the organization right now is just phenomenal. For a while now, Old Glory has really had, you know, one of the deeper teams in the league, like very consistent players coming off the bench. But we've sort of been missing that top-end talent. The big stars, the really big names have, have all been on other teams, and I think that's going to change next year. And you look at the quality of players being brought in, and it's just, it's it's top quality and hopefully we're still retaining a lot of those depth guys because they're going to be important but man it's <laughs> every every week exciting signings coming coming in and it's 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 been great to follow so let's talk about it so i mean this is one 
it came out last week. So as we all know, Tommaso Boni, who used to be for Italy, played for Zebre, is now captain by the men's Eagles. You were sitting on this news for a while. You knew about it for a while. Kudos on you not to be like the first to break it, so to speak, because you could have, but you didn't. Um, so we didn't burn any bridges there, which is good. But you were sitting on it for a while. Tell me what this means. You talked a little bit about how, you know, the quality, the top end talent. But what does this signing in particular mean for the back line of the Eagles and, and potentially who is he replacing or filling in for? Yeah, I mean, he comes in as, once again, another highly experienced guy in one of the, I mean, I know Zebra is not the one of the best teams in the world, but they are in one of the top four leagues in the world, um, in the URC right now, I think. 117 caps for them, which is, you know, just a ton of rugby to have played at that, at that level. 11 caps for Italy, even more caps for their, like, age grade U18, U20 teams. And then he comes over to us and, you know, because the union transfer, he was able to be capped for the USA. And that means he counts as a domestic player for us, which is is excellent. I expect him to just be a, a permanent fixture on the field. Two thumbs up. <laughs> Absolutely. Two, yeah, because that, that has been one thing that I've been watching is that there's a lot of foreign players coming into the, the team right now, but. You know, he, this is a, a domestic player. He's probably going to take over mostly for Threaten Palamo. You know, he comes in as more of a 12 rather than a 13. You know, he's he's going to be the the bigger, more physical player to really, you know, wrestle yards on the gain line and, and be a very physical presence for us in the back line. And, you know, obviously don't know whether Threaten Palamo is coming back. I mean, love to see him, but at the same time, I think he's he's getting ready to move on with his his life. So, exciting signing. Yeah, you know, the thing about Palamo is that um, while he may not be on the field in, you know, the match day 23, he's been such a part of this organization that, and he's kind of, he kind of moved into that player coaching role that I could see him sticking around in more of a coaching role um, given just he knows the players in the in the franchise so well, and um, he's been such an asset that probably not the last that Old DC fans have seen of of Threaten Palamo, um, but we'll see. But certainly um, an exciting signing for Old Glory DC. And I mean, if you, I'm not going to go through all the the names and resignings. We've got another one to talk about here in a second here. But if you if you look at Major League Rugby going into their what seventh season, if I think if I have that right. Um, you know, with the folding of a couple of teams in the Premiership, there are some, there's some, there's some talent coming into MLR, like some, some top end talent. It's going to really improve, you know, the quality continue as it continues to rise each and every year. So I think that's what I'm most excited about. So been look out Eastern Conference teams. Watch out, New England Free Jacks. Oak Glory DC is coming for you. That's right. I'm fired up already. It's the end of October. I'm ready to go. Let's hit the field already. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of returning and hitting the field, our boy, Canadian Fly of International, Grady. He's back, baby. Yeah, Graydon Bode, back for more. A sort of hidden gem discovered last year. I mean, he was signed out of the Canadian sure. Premiership. Is that what they call it? The BC Premiership, I think. 
I think I've got the name of that right. My knowledge of Canadian rugby, not super, super deep. But he was, you know, a player had been around, been all over the place. Never been on a fully professional team before, but then, you know, he was, was scouted last year. They brought him on the team and he really proved that he is a, a quality player. I mean, he's got a, a different style to to Tito, and it was one that that just suited the team more. He's got a he's a really really good distributor of the ball. He's got really good vision for who needs to get the ball and who's in um, the best position to make a big play. And it's exciting to see him come back. And importantly, again, another domestic player because he's Canadian, capped by Canada, and you know, really it has the potential to help us deal with the potential problem of, of having too many foreign players on the field. And especially when you consider that Jason Robertson is likely going to be the other fly half that we've got on the team, a New Zealander, not going to count as a domestic player. He, you know, having a second good fly half option who is domestic, that could really make a good a big difference yeah yeah I'm, I'm excited for Grady to come back I think the biggest question that I have going into the season um, will be is he still gonna have his long hair and if he cuts his hair I hope it's not like a Samson thing right where he loses all of his rugby strength <laughs> so Grady I'm whatever you do I like the long hair please keep it I think you add a little extra flair but we'll see sometimes long hair can get annoying I used to have long hair myself this show isn't about me. It's about what Grady C. But AKP, I'm glad Grady's back. But there's still one more Canadian that we haven't got an official word yet on if he's coming back to Old Glory DC. And I might start a ride here soon, proverbial ride, if I don't hear any news yet. But we both know who who I'm talking about. Crusty old vet, my one of my favorite players, Kyle Bailey. I need to know what's going on with Kyle. I, I got to pick up the phone here. I got to call someone at Old Glory DC. I got to know what is going on with Kyle Bailey. They need him back. I hope he's coming back. I guess we'll find out. Do you have any? Do you have any rumors? Any inklings on? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any specific info, but you've got to imagine he would be coming back. That the the team wouldn't want to let him go. A domestic option at lock who is good enough that he made. I mean, he made. Yeah. I think it was the second, second team, yeah. second or third team. And half um, a season? All, yeah, and and only with half a season of play. He only came in halfway through the year and had such a big impact that he was, yeah. was in the, the honors list. He got a yellow card in the, the first few minutes of the first game he was back, <laughs> which was a questionable call. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Sometimes that's how it goes. So, yeah, excited for this team next year. Agreed, agreed, agreed. So normally this is part of the episode where I'll talk a little bit about some other uh, you know, MLR player news. I'm going to skip that right now because we got some other stuff that we want to talk about. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to fly through some of this stuff quickly. I want to touch on USA women's Eagles. They lost to Scotland in their second match of the WXV two. their final match. is going to be uh, this Saturday against Italy. That should be a little bit of a grudge match. Cause the last time those two played each other was in the rugby world cup in New Zealand when Italy got past them there. So that should be a, uh, a fun match, a, a physical match. We chatted, me and Bill Baker chatted with Rachel Johnson. 
I met uh, Hingano earlier and they anticipated being kind of a, a free flow and get the ball out type of game from Italy. So we could see a high scoring game there. I think that's a 8 a.m. or maybe it's 11 a.m. kickoff Eastern Standard Time on Saturday. But not that AKP cares because he's going to be on a flight over Japan. Yeah, so I'm we'll catch miss him up that later. <laughs> he's going to miss that one. Hey, KP, I want to talk real quick about the Rugby World Cup. And I don't mean to fly over the finals <laughs> and the bronze final here, but your boys, your team nearly kept chaos going. England had the lead in the 78th minute against the defending champions. A somewhat controversial, questionable scrum penalty call against England. I guess I could have gone either way. The South Africa guy was maybe coming in on the side. An England player's knee was down. What's the call there? I don't really know. But I got to say, I got to say, your boy Owen Farrell, your boy Owen Farrell played pretty well that game. I know you were dogging him a little bit, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not that he's a bad player. But, you know, he, he argued, with the, argued with the ref all game. He got, he got England pushed back another 10 meters at one point. He's, it's, it's not he's a bad player, but man i don't know why he's captain and to be honest i don't know if he's that much better than george ford i would just put george ford out there and skip all the drama but yeah no i mean this is one of those where it's like live by the sword die by the sword if you're gonna play a a smart tactical game that involves just kicking a ton of points well you're gonna get yourself into these situations and occasionally you're gonna lose and you know that's the risk of the the game plan Although I do think it's funny that the first time that England really looks like they deserve to win a game, first time they actually like, you look at them and you're like, yeah, this is good rugby. They're actually a good team is the game that they lose. I I, I gotta say after the excitement of the quarterfinal, um, maybe it seemed a little bit of a, maybe a letdown in the semifinal, you know, of course, New Zealand put a thumper on Argentina. Um, you know, I think New Zealand just, they, Far better that day, clearly. Um, Argentina did not play their best game. It was probably their, one of the worst games that they played all year. But it's, that's what New Zealand does to you. Um, it was good at least that, that that final semifinal match between England and South Africa at least had a little bit of, a little bit of drama to it, you know, going all the way through to the, to the end there. But um, <laughs> kudos to, to England, right, after getting absolutely dogged by everyone, myself included, in the run-up to the Rugby World Cup to go all the way to the semifinal and nearly knock off the defending champs. England was this close to being in the final. Can you imagine that? (laughs) And really, they looked like the better team most of the game. So they they probably probably should have been in that final if if all things had gone according to plan. But, you know, I think that this is what we underestimate with with uh, rugby sometimes it's just the chance for chaos and the chance that we sort of don't always understand fully what teams are and what they can be and there's you you see in england it's like if you'd predicted that england would go to the semifinals, you know be or be just a hair a hair's breadth away from getting into the finals at the beginning of the tournament i would have said you're crazy and probably yeah. and rightly like it would have been a crazy thing to think because you know, there was like a, like thinking about the probability distribution and the like bell curve, you know, that was at one mm-hmm. end. That possibility was always there, but it was at one end of the bell curve. Yeah. And the thing is, like, there's always a chance that things like that are going to happen. And that's why 
a structure like the Rugby World Cup. Or, you know, the same with March Madness. Why is March Madness called March Madness? Because madness can happen. And it's down to the structure of the tournament. The way it's set up facilitates the opportunity for madness to happen, for chaos. And the World Cup actually does a pretty good job of that as well. And, you know, expanding it to 24 teams, which we've had confirmation now that they're going to expand in 2027 to 24 teams, add an extra four teams. Like, that's great. That increases the opportunity for fun, interesting, unexpected results to happen. Yeah, I agree. And as much as, you know, madness is is what's fun and great about sport, I I shouldn't say sadly, but maybe it's... We've seen a New Zealand versus South Africa, you know, final. We've seen those two teams play. And it's going to be, we talked about this last episode, it's going to be a spectacle, right? It's going to be, a, it's probably going to be a, a fun game to watch. Is it what's best for the sport? That I guess that doesn't matter now at this point because, you know, they, they settle everything on the field. But in Argentina squeaking in or France getting past South Africa or Ireland, you know, the host nation France winning their first or Ireland finally getting past the quarterfinal and winning the first. And there's so much good drama and narrative and storylines behind that, that um, sadly, maybe we lose that in, in the final of New Zealand, South Africa. And, and it's going to be a great game, right? Whichever nation wins, it'll be the first time that a nation's won four before. So um, yeah, I guess there's a bit of history there and Will Jordan's got sitting on eight tries. He gets one more. He has nine. He probably could have scored that ninth one if Richie Monga just passed it out to his right. But again, you know, you know, whatever that happened. But I guess AKP, as as you, as you reflect upon the Rugby World Cup this year, and now that we've got South Africa versus New Zealand, what are your kind of just you know the initial thoughts that come to mind when as how that as it relates to how it has come down now to New Zealand, South Africa. Has this been a good tournament tournament for the sport? I think it has in a lot of ways. I think the pool stage was a great show of yeah. of parody and you know the the opportunities or what tier two nations can do with the opportunity. It also showed why tier two is tier two and not tier one. I mean yeah. you did have some blowouts in there. You had the tier one nations occasionally show their might and certainly certain tier one nations were less troubled than others but you had so many good interesting games and i was looking my parents were were looking for some recommendations on which games to watch and i realized i recommended a lot of portugal i recommended a lot of samoa and teams that you know i i wasn't focusing I didn't actually recommend that many tier one matchups in the games because a lot of the more interesting games were those tier one against tier two, tier two against other tier twos. And I think from that perspective, I think tier two got a lot of respect in this tournament and got a lot of earned a lot of respect. And that's, I think that's a a good thing. I think the knockout stages have been, a little disappointing from that perspective. I mean, Argentina beating Wales was really the only upset and everything else has just sort of gone as, you know, you could have asked someone 10 years ago how this would have gone down and they would have pretty much ended up with what we had. And that's a bit disappointing to see. But but that's also the nature of sports. And 
you know, part of sports is being able to have the opportunity to pursue, you know, being the best in the world and beating the best and playing everyone in that and earning that opportunity. And I think overall, the World Cup this year has really shown why that opportunity is so important, why it's so important that there be a pathway for every team in the world to strive for the top. And, you know, we're <laughs> I'm really setting up the transition here to uh, the big news, but I'll, I'll let you I'll let you break that. All right. Well, all right, let's just jump into it. We'll, we'll go to um, the picks at the end of the episode when we talk about bronze final and um, the final. But let's jump right into it. Let's let's first let's talk about how uh, World Rugby has uh, confirmed. And, and this was a rumor. I think everyone kind of expected it that. In 2027, starting in the, with Australia, the tournament's going to move from expand from 20 teams to 24 teams, right? So new format, what, six six pools, four teams. There's going to be new timing. So it's going to be shifted back um, October 1st through November 13th. And then I bring that up because I think the flexibility there is important because it shows that World Rugby is looking ahead to USA, right? Because if you're going to host the Rugby World Cup, in the U.S. in 2031, you can't host it in the U.S. in early fall because where are you going to play it? The big stadiums are NFL stadiums and college football stadiums. Those are being used, right? When are they not at, when are they not being used? In the summertime, right? In that July, August. So I think the flexibility about when it's getting moved bodes well for, at least we have an idea, I would surmise, we have an idea of when it's going to be um, hosted in the U.S., and I think it's going to be in that July-August window when college football stadiums really aren't in use in either NFL stadiums. So just bring that up real quickly. The new wrinkle, of course, and again, is you know a round of 16, which I think is exciting, and people understand that, right? So top two teams from each pool, plus the 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 best four third-place third place teams will go into this round of 16. Exciting stuff, right? I think that's that's pretty cool. They mentioned the draw. It's it's going to take a place a little bit later, which is good. January 2020, 2026. But the interesting thing there is that <laughs> there's still going to be some qualifiers that haven't been played yet. So why are you still so far away, right? And World Rugby said something about we got to make sure that people have travel and all that figured out. But in in the Soccer World Cup with FIFA, they hold their draw like a few months before the actual uh, World Cup. So Plenty of time, plenty of time for fans to figure out travel and all those things to be figured out. So I still question some of that, but okay. So Rugby World Cup expanded four extra teams. What does that look like? Well, crap, if the U.S. can't qualify for the four extra teams, then what the hell are we doing? That gives Canada an opportunity. They just missed out. You know, Portugal, right? Or sorry, Spain, right? They had just missed out. Potentially, you know, you throw Hong Kong in there, but, you know, Kenya, you know, they've been trying to get it together. You know, there's like four or five teams, I think, potentially Brazil, who get thrown in the mix of maybe Russia. They, whatever, maybe not, screw Russia. But, uh, you know, so there's like four or five, six teams, right, that are thrown in the conversation there. Okay, so long intro to all of this, AKP, expanding the, the tournament to 24 teams, Good for the sport, bad for the sport, and kind of what are the ramifications over these next few years as we look to 2027 and then 2031? 
Yeah, obviously a, a good thing. I think I would expand it beyond 24 teams even. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who in tier one countries are like, you know, why do we have to watch these? Why do we have to let everyone in? But it's a world. <laughs> was, cup. was that a it's French about... accent? <laughs> no, that was my whiny voice. That was my, why do we have to do all this? Why do we have to And it's like, you know, there's people in tier one countries who would happily just watch like, you know, the top five or six countries play each other and really don't care about anything else. But it's about a World Cup and it's about giving these teams and these players and these countries an opportunity on the biggest stage. And I do think, I mean, you've got to draw a line somewhere. There's no point including, you know, uh, Croatia or something. They're not yeah, they're yeah, not high yeah. enough up on the list that they're going to be able to realistically do anything. But I think if you look at... You know, you take March Madness for an example, as an example. You take things like the FIFA World Cup. There's a lot of opportunity. The more teams you add, the more interesting matchups that get you get, the more potential excitement, the more people around the world have the opportunity to root for their team in the World Cup. And I think that's that's an incredibly valuable thing. And frankly, just from a sort of profit-driven logistical sense like every single one of those stadiums was packed this year like every i don't think they had they every game even the you know the lowest of tier two against the lowest of tier two was it was still forty thousand people in a stadium you know if you can draw those sorts of crowds just keep going keep expanding like clearly there is an interest in rugby and you know not every you're not always going to be able to to get that, but you know, just keep expanding until it, until it doesn't make sense. And I don't really see what the advantage of limiting the field is. Yeah, I think you, I think you hit on a number of really key points. The fact that, uh, as you said, in those quote unquote tier two nation matches, there was there was large crowd support because I think fans of these other teams watched and were like. This is an exciting match. Like I, I hark, I'm, who did Japan? Japan played. Um, was the last their last pool match? Um, oh, they Portugal? played Argentina. Argentina, right, right. The winner yeah. and the winner would advance, right? Again, Argentina is not a tier two nation, but probably you know aside, maybe not too many fans had seen right in person. What an exciting match! Like what a great yeah. way to end, you know, the pool play with such a back and forth game. Of rugby and there was a number and yes there were there were a few tier one tier two games where there was an obvious blowout and that is going to happen right but we have seen that in other world cups in in soccer and both on the men's and women's side and in rugby like you're not going to completely eliminate and that's not a reason to just say oh we can't we can't let these nations in because they're going to get bombed those players are out there are playing with so much passion and intensity because the opportunity is so big and Someone back home is watching it and seeing it, is getting inspired by it, wants to go play, wants to go start a rugby club, wants to join it. You know, the the the, the municipalities around it see there's more interest. Hey, let's put some more rugby. Let's put some more money into rugby. Let's clean the fields up. Let's construct a goalpost. Let's build a little bit of a stadium. All of a sudden, you can see money starting to flow in, right? We have seen how other nations like Chile and Uruguay, and we'll get into the World League, whatever, Nations Championship in a little bit. We have seen how... Nations like that 
who have basically have had no money, no investment from World Rugby because World Rugby's like, eh, go figure it out. They have figured it out. Look what they've done. Look what Uruguay and Chile did to get to the Rugby World Cup and play well and impress people and show what they're about. They're figuring it out at home. There's no reason why Kenya can't figure it out. There's no reason why Hong Kong can't get there and figure out. They're in a good little basin there of some good rugby. There's no reason why, you know, like Germany can't start to get it out in Brazil. And I can keep going on the list, right? There's no reason why these nations, yes, money helps, but they can look at other countries as a model to say, yes, even with limited resources, we can figure this out, right? So, and then once they start to figure it out, once they start to knock on the door, get their foot in the door and get into these bigger competitions, you got to open the door and let them in. If we really want this to be a global sport, if we talk about the values of rugby, then darn it, we got to let them in. We got to invite them to the party, even if they might not have the best time there. They got to be there, right? So I'm all for expanding the, the 2014. I think you bring up an interesting point. I wouldn't be surprised if things go well in 2027, that they talk about potentially expanding the 2018 and 2031. That might be expansion too fast, but who knows? If if Hong Kong steps up and says, hey, we're ready to go. If Kenya steps up and says, hey, we're ready to go. If Brazil is challenging Uruguay and Chile and the U.S. and Canada in this region, even if they aren't going to play each other, we'll get that in a second, figure out how we can invite them to the party. So anyway, I'm excited for it. I think it'll be great stuff. Australia is automatically going to qualify. Good for them. U.S. is automatically going to qualify for 2031. But the expansion 2014, there's no reason why the U.S. should miss out on qualification for <laughs> the Rugby World Cup. I don't even want to consider that, but I guess it is a possibility. AKP, any further thoughts? Sorry, I got riled up there. Any further thoughts on uh, the Rugby World Cup expanding to 2014? Or should we should we move on to more we should move divisive on. things? Okay, let's move on. The bigger news has probably been, and there's World Rugby released a bunch of information, and no surprise they did it just days before the Rugby World Cup finals. People can talk about it, and then we can go to the games, and people seem to forget about it. But the two big things that I want to talk about are the rebranded Pacific Nations Cup and then the Nations Championship. So essentially, it's not even a new competition. It's a rebranded competition, the Pacific Nations Cup. Essentially, they're bringing it back because the U.S. was in it before with a couple other Pacific Rim countries. But real quickly, starting next summer, um, the U.S. will be in a compete in a yearly home and away competition between Canada, Fiji, Japan, Samoa, and Tonga. And yes, there'll be a year where, because of the Lions tour, where they're not going to play, and then there's a Rugby World Cup. So there won't be um, the Pacific Nations Cup. And potentially, potentially Japan and Fiji dipping out in 2026 to go join the Rugby Championship. We can get to that in a second. But essentially, USA, Canada, Fiji, Japan, Samoa, and Tonga will be playing together. No Uruguay, no Chile. They opted out. They had an opportunity. They opted out. They pretty much gave a middle finger to World Rugby. They had issues with Reg 9 windows and not getting their players from like top 14 and such. So they said, nope, peace out. We're going to figure this out on our own. The timing of it looks like it's going to be in that August, September, August and September, and then Japan and USA are going to alternate um, as um, finals host. So there's been some like pool play stuff, but uh AKP, Pacific Nations Cup, right? So one thing, it's it's a calendar. At least we know there will be at least three additional games throughout the year from now until, what, 2030, 2032. We'll get into the Nations Championship thing there in just a second. It seems like the U.S. is fortunate to be invited to this competition. Honestly, 
Canada too, for that matter. Canada should probably be jumping for joy that they are going to be playing the likes of Fiji and Japan and Samoa and Tonga, four nations that are way above them in the world rankings, right? Fiji, Japan, Samoa, Tonga are probably like, what the heck? How, why do we? Why are we stuck with you, the Americans and the Canadians? Look what happened to them. They didn't even qualify for the 2020 Rugby World Cup. I'm getting to you in a second, AKP. What are your thoughts, good, bad, and different, on the Pacific Nations Cup? Is it an adequate replacement for the America Rugby Championship? Take, give me your thoughts, man. Give me your thoughts. So I'm first gonna going to pick up on a particular word there you use there, uh, fortunate. Is it fortunate when, um, you know, someone that you have helped generously helps you helps you back because uh if you'll remember part of getting bill beaumont into office in the first place was canada's canada's vote Mm -hmm. now the u.s Mm -hmm. so the u.s you've got this this special position of being a future host of the rugby world cup they really need things to pick up here they really Mm -hmm. want the u.s to be a good Mm -hmm. not too good but like if we could get to georgia samoa level of play that would be that would be really good for world rugby and then canada came in with a decisive vote and so uh you've got i think i think that's why you've ended up with them in the pacific nations cup so but you know my suspicions aside around motivations i do think it's a good thing it's not as good as the america's rugby champ championship that would be the ideal thing to bring back but for the US and for Canada, this is an excellent option. This is, we get to play against quality nations that are at least in some sort of geographic, it's not just some random nations that we're playing, we're all Pacific bordering countries, so that, that makes some sense. The time zones are going to make some of the games at, at weird times, and, and that's not the best, but you know, it's something I've been thinking about is like, regional competitions versus everyone just playing whoever the other top teams are and in some sense you'd you'd look at it and you'd say well the ideal would be for everyone to just play their neighbors to play the the teams around them but then you're going to get wildly lopsided competitions i mean you know the six nations is a very geographically coherent competition Mm -hmm. but it means that you know no one else can can play those nations and no one no one else is getting the the opportunity to compete at that level and so it, you're never going to have the best of everything you like you can either focus on geography or you can focus on you know just getting teams to play some teams that are slightly better than them some teams that are slightly worse than them and some teams that are at their level ideally that's what you want for every nation is to play a good mixture you know they want you know some some easier games some games that are right at their level and then some games that are a bit of a stretch and if world rugby focused on that i think things would go well you know there, there's a couple of things about all of this um one you, you hit it on the head like world rugby has invested so much in rugby becoming a success here in the u.s that they're going to do everything possible to make sure their investment pays off right so in the run-up between now and in 2031 how can they make rugby popular here in the u.s there's got to be big game competitions they've got to host you know, alternating hosting with Japan, this, this Pacific Nations Cup. 
if you ask the men's Eagles, and I've talked about this before with a couple of people, if you ask the, the men's Eagles squad, who would they rather play? Would they rather play their neighbors down south, Uruguay, Chile, Brazil, Argentina 15? Because Argentina's, the Pumas, Los Pumas haven't been in the America's Rugby Championship unless I have that wrong. Or would they rather play Tonga, Samoa, Japan, and Fiji? I bet you I know that answer. And I bet it's probably, you know, Japan, Tonga, Samoa, and Fiji because they're going to get better. Even if it's not their best players every time, they're going to want to play better competition. That's only how you get better. I'm all for, like, we got to, like, get everyone up, you know. But has anyone asked, does Chile and Uruguay, do they really care about USA rugby? Like, they're serving their best interests, right? Do yeah. they really want? Do they really want to pull? You know, the, the the big brother, the bully, up. You know, who there's definitely a division going on between North America and South America, and that's because of, you know, how things were voted and you know why was our vote paid off? Probably World Rugby's invested in making this a success here, and maybe we're talking about things that are uncomfortable for some people. But World Rugby, their main revenue generator, most of their the revenue that they generate is from one event that happens every four years, and that's the Rugby World Cup, right? So they have to make sure that each successive World Cup does better than the one before it, right? They know in Australia, that's a destination that people are going to travel to. That's going to be fun. Australia is going to blow it out. U.S., that is a question mark right now, and that is a big risk right now because, yeah, Rugby World Cup is going to be hosted here in the U.S., but if those stadiums are half sold out and there's not a lot of media interest and a lot of fan interest and there's not a lot of ticket sales, <laughs> that is going to set World Rugby back, at least the coffers back as you look to what happens next in, in 35. So they have to do everything they can to make sure this is a profitable Rugby World Cup in 2031. So they're going to do everything possible. Uruguay, Chile, other nations, Tier 2 nations, be damned. USA Rugby needs to make this Rugby World Cup a success. That's that's kind of that, those are our bedmates right now. That's who USA Rugby is lying down with in World Rugby, right? So that's the Pacific Nations Cup. I would love the American Rugby Championship to come back, but it's and it will come back and it is coming back. But it sounds like that's going to be a U twenty championship. And as I think yeah. about it more, that makes sense to me because right, like twenty thirty one is six years from now. The squad, the men's Eagles that are going to be playing in the 2031 World Cup are going to be a mix of older veterans and these younger players who need high-level quality competition. So that U20 championship is a great breeding ground, proving ground for younger players to play at high-level competition before they jump into the Eagles pool, right, or the, the selection there. So I, I'm not saying this is a good plan, like a perfect plan. You're not going to please everyone. But I, again, because of all the ties that USA Rugby has with World Rugby and other places, honestly, this is probably, and this might not be the most popular opinion here, they're, they're in a pretty good position because they have so much support from World Rugby behind them to try and make them be a success. But but we've got the issues with other tier two nations, you know, your your Spains, your Portugal's your Kenyas, you know, your Guay, Chile, whomever, who are like, well, what about us? And because World Rugby, I don't say they don't care about them, but they're not putting money into those nations like they are in the U.S. And that's just just bottom line. It's, where's the money going? Follow the money trail. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this nation's championship thing, Let's, this yeah, World League. It. Yeah. So... Off the top of my head, it's basically have the Six Nations and have the 
the rugby championship plus Japan and Fiji as your likely, your two yeah. top leagues, and then maybe eventually get around to adding some promotion and relegation if you feel like it maybe uh, seems to be the attitude from world rugby. And it's just such an obvious step backward for the, I mean, you can go online. Every comment is like, this is a step backward. This is ridiculous. And I think, you know, it goes back to providing teams with the opportunity to get better and get worse. And I think what annoys me the most is not that there's going to be, you know, two top leagues in the world of six teams that that actually makes sense to me. I don't think that's a terrible idea. What gets me is that, you know, first of all, there's not going to be promotion relegation for the first two or three times that that it runs. And that's not guaranteed either. Like that hasn't yeah. been signed and sealed off. That's they there's a the possibility that that might happen. That could yeah. still they could say still say no. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe eventually they'll get around to adding promotion relegation. But even that, for me, doesn't solve the issue. I think there needs to be way more fluidity in teams moving up and down. I've been thinking about this a lot. And the way I would do it, if I were going to structure this, is I would have two tournaments of six teams at the top. And they would play a round robin with each other. And then the top three teams in each of those would go into a thing and they would play another round robin with each other. The bottom three would go and play the top three teams in you'd have another six two sixteen competitions below that and they would play the top teams of that. And then the top three teams of that second game would then the next year be in the in the the tier one, so to speak, the tier one competitions. And you'd have a lot more sorting in and out. You'd have the chance for potentially three teams to come to join the top league every year. Yeah. You'd have the potential for the you'd have the potential for teams to to start near the top and then really sink pretty quickly if they're playing badly. But I think that would be a much better system. First of all, it'd be much fairer than what we have, but it would also allow for more teams you know if if a team is suddenly really good they figure it out like italy had that golden generation for a moment and they like figure it out or georgia like a few years ago was really top of the world they were really playing incredibly well they should be able to get into that top league and they should be able to get into it instantly and it shouldn't just be like oh maybe we'll switch one team out at the bottom it should be more dramatic than that and i think you get a lot of tier one fans who sort of talk about it as if it's their right to be in the be at the top of the sport and it isn't it's like they're just a, they're just another country and i wish world rugby would treat them like that you know if you're a, a welsh fan i'm sorry your team kind of sucks right now and like get good like your team will get better it won't always suck and then they'll be able to get back to the top and i think there needs to be more of that attitude a, a more flexible attitude to allowing good teams teams that are playing well right now to to get up to the top and teams that are playing badly to sink down and then find themselves find their level and then and then get back up if they can and i think you know everything about the way world rugby has talked about everything and the way every plan i've seen from them about structuring the sport it's all about creating a little enclave at the top for the best teams to play the other best teams and hopefully never have to touch any other team ever and 
Yeah, I, you know what? I'll I'll let you, you take over for a moment here. No, and that's, that's perfect. But and, but you're right though, because if you look at how this is structured, um, it's safe, right? It's safe in the sense that you know that if when England plays Wells, whether it's at Twickenham or you know in Cardiff or wherever, you know that you can consistently get you can pack the stadium, right? You know that the Six Nations TV ratings will will be pretty strong, right? There's a risk if all of a sudden you know you have England and you bring in all of a sudden they're going to play Chile. That's a big risk. There's a, that's a big risk that fans are going to be like, eh, I'm going to skip Chile. Why are we playing Chile? Why don't we just continue to play Ireland and France and all that stuff, right? So there's a risk there. And if you look at how this is structured, the top division of this nation's championship, the six nations and the rugby championship own 100% of the commercial rights. That is definitely going to be a very – I shouldn't say lucrative, but that's where the money is, right? And yeah. the nations that compete in that are going to fill up their coffers because they're going to be playing <laughs> numbers one through 11, right? Where you know that no matter where you go in the world, one through 11, you're probably going to have a pretty packed stadium, right? That second division, that 12 through 24, that's owned and operated by World Rugby. And the U.S. is right in there. And you know damn well, as we talked about earlier, World Rugby is going to make sure their investment in U.S. rugby is going to pay off in 2031 and 2033. That whatever happens in that little challenger second division, most of that money is not going to be flowing back to those nations that are competing in that uh, into that in that tournament. Right? It's going to be for the most part going back to World Rugby to make sure that USA Rugby and others get up to the level that they want them at to make the Rugby World Cup a success. And for me, this always just comes back down to money again. And that's why I think the, the nation's championship is almost a very much a predictable, boring, but safe. We, it's safe in that first division. We know that there's going to be there's going to be money flowing. And it's going to be trading hands again, right? Just back to the nations, the invested nations that are, are quote-unquote good at rugby. But those other nations challengers that are trying to get up and aspire and get to that level that need more investment that's where more of the money really needs to be flowing and it doesn't seem like it's really going to flow down to them all that much and that's where i think it's the missed opportunity because you said you're not going to have those fun matchups of a what if uh what if a chile went up and to wales and beat wales or a what if you know uruguay traveled and played italy and, and beat them there you're not going to yeah. see that with this concept and that's to me is lost because what we saw in the world cup, particularly with Chile and Uruguay and the passion that they played, right. And, and, and the simple fact that like Spain and Portugal, right in the neighborhood of the six yeah. nations are not going to get consistent matches against like in, in Italy. To me, that's a loss. I, I just, I don't understand that. I do understand it. It's the money thing, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's the I'll structure of world rugby. I mean, it's, yeah. you look at world rugby and there's, there's a handful of teams at the top that get three votes each. You know, it's the base, the six nations in the current rugby championship. All of those, t those countries get three votes each. Japan gets two votes. A handful of nations get one vote. I mean, it, you know, if the other Pacific islands, the, um, the U S Canada, uh, basically some of the, the countries have been, Uruguay, I think some of the countries have been doing it for a long time. And then, you know, everyone else gets not one vote, but like one vote for their entire region. And so you look at it and the, the tier one nations control the vast, they control a majority 
of world rugby. Like, and surprise, surprise, they turned world rugby into something that really benefits them. They created a structure where they're not going to really have to be afraid of upstart nations coming and challenging them. And you Mm -hmm. look at teams that, you know, I mean, even if you had like one vote for every time you made the World Cup, that would make a big difference to the uh, the voting shares of of the the countries. But you know, it's like I, no wonder we ended up in a spot where tier one nations benefit from every decision that World Rugby makes. It's, they are World Rugby. World Rugby is run by the top handful nations of the world, and you know, their only interest is making a bunch of money for themselves. And, you know, including some some smaller nations occasionally will will benefit them. You know, Japan's a big country, a lot of commercial potential there. So yeah, pull them in. Fiji is is not a huge commercial opportunity, but they're good and you need to balance numbers. So why not? But, you know, maybe by the time you actually get the World League expanding in that way, maybe they they decide to include the U.S. for financial reasons and and just leave the Pacific nations out to dry. And, you know, like, obviously, that'd be great for the U.S., but it's not, it's, it all just feels wrong. It's like, it doesn't, it's, this is not the way it's supposed to go. If, you, if you're Scotland and Wales, you probably got to think, whew, we are safe for another six years, right? A couple of nations who, you know, yeah, Scotland had a decent Rugby World Cup, and certainly Wales made the quarterfinals, but they have some issues there, you know, with, with money, and, and they're, they're always going to be a quality side, but if you look, you know, they haven't been their best the last couple of years, and if you're looking behind you and you see, you know, Fiji coming up, and you see the continued potential with, with Japan, and, you know, you talk about some other nations that are, you know, want to knock on the door there, you know, your Portugal's, your Spain's, or whatever, if you're Scotland and Wales, you're like, oh, this deal's great for us because there's no relegation for six years, four to six years, if not more. And again, when no one signed off on it yet, we just said, hey, we, we're going to continue to think about it. So they've got to be pretty pleased about how this is shaping up for them. AKP, I mean, we, we could go on and I want to talk more about this because there's there's a still a lot more to unpack and. Yeah, again, what happens in 2026 when, you know, Beijing Japan spring for the rugby championship, right? That, that seems to be the chatter. You just slot in two other teams into the Pacific Nations Cup. It seems like Uruguay and Chile don't want to do it. Who do you throw in there? Hong Kong? You know, like, I, that's not going to be a very competitive game as we saw in the final qualification tournament. So we've got so much more on this subject to talk about. It certainly has lit rugby Twitter on fire, which is good. You know, anything that we can get people talking about the school board is probably good, even if it's not the best outcome. And again, no plan is going to be perfect. You can't please everyone and ultimately follow the money trail and all things. But AKP, do we want to move to our final thoughts or do you have more you want to say? Uh, yeah. So one last last thought before we before we actually get to the last thought here been some interesting mlr news around the schedule they obviously they haven't published the schedule but it sounds like the season is going to be pushed back again a little bit so it's going to start in march this year which for people who prefer warmer weather is definitely going to be a, a positive and um so there's going to be a break around the playoffs to accommodate the um the july test window and then 
finals in in August, which really is pushing sort of quite late to the end of summer. Yeah, it's um, that's it, it's fascinating because I think all this is tied to you know what's going to be happening with the Pacific Nations Cup starting in, in 2024. Um, I think it makes sense to to put, to put. I think it makes yeah, people. It's tough to get people out in the middle of February in New England, you know, and, and other places in Chicago, and for the players to play in those cold weather games, it doesn't make for the most exciting rugby to watch. And certainly, as the weather gets nicer, the it's more free flowing, the tendons comes up, like all those things. Logically, that makes sense to me, right? To to push the, the season into warmer weather months. But then, yeah, then you run up to that international window slot, right? And with the Pacific Nations Cup starting in August and September and seemingly probably what camp in July with maybe a warm-up fixture, you know, there's going to be men's eagles pulled from MLR clubs right during the thick of the playoffs. That's definitely going to shake things up. And we don't have all the details on 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 what weeks are necessarily taking the breaks, but it is around the playoffs. It's, I guess it's trying to make the best of uh, a funky situation, right? So um, yeah. still a lot more clarity that I think MLR will, it's not like we get a lot of clarity from MLR on certain things. They don't have the best track record, but um, an interesting an interesting move to move it to warmer weather and to also try and accommodate that international window and for the men's Eagles that are going to be competing in the Pacific Nations Cup and, and what have you. But um, yeah, AKP, what do you, what do you think? What do you make of all that? Yeah, I mean, I did sort of wonder, there's always been a lot of discussion about like, you know, the pushing it later to to make more, put more of the season in, in better weather. But, you know, we'll see how it works with the internationals. I think the league is young enough that there's still a lot of opportunity to experiment with this and figure out what the the best way to, to organize all this is. It will be interesting. A lot of teams don't, really get their teams together until after the holidays so until the new year and so now we're going to have about two months of of proper preseason, which when you think about it in in past years there's sometimes been only about a month you know when it when the season was starting right at the beginning of february you know you had january to get the team together a few weeks of of preseason, a couple of preseason games and then off to the races so we could see a more team cohesion sort of better team play right from the the outset this year because they have all of that extra time to get ready and to practice as a team and to to find a, a level together and hey don't forget we also have a mlr player union vote happening yes. as well uh i think sometime uh in february so oh boy the things are gonna get fun there uh, in January and February, as we talk about that some more. AKP, this has been a fun episode because we, we, we've, we've reigned, you know, domestically and abroad. And obviously there's been so much more that we will continue to talk about. I still, we still need to resurface the, the whole, you know, stacking an MLR club with just men's Eagles. Um, I had an interesting conversation oh, yeah. with someone who's very, who's very close to the sport and to the men's Eagles around a conversation about is it really truly best for men's eagles to be complete competing in mlr should they go all overseas um interesting conversation there's quite a few already do that there's more we can talk about on that but uh akp i guess we gotta we gotta do our closing thoughts here and, and on the closing thoughts let's do a straight just let's close it out with picks uh bronze final 
and then the final of the Rugby World Cup, bronze final, England versus Argentina, final, New Zealand versus South Africa. Um, I'll let you make your picks. You don't have to go into detail if you want. You can just do a straight winner. I think England beats Argentina. I think that's that's pretty much the uh, the obvious choice there. I'm going to pick New Zealand over South Africa, which mm. is partly just vibes. I would prefer not to have a repeat World Cup winner. and But also, if New Zealand plays like they did against Ireland, they could be anyone. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to... I'm I'm with you on 50% of that. I think England probably wins. I'm going to pull for Argentina. I'm sure you may be pulling for Argentina, even though you want England to win. So that, that'll get screwy. But I'm going to pick Argentina. And it's funny to note that um, Argentina, I guess, in their vote for the nation's championship, they did vote for with the tier one nations because Argentina kind of has their thing figured out with the rugby championships. So, um, you know, down in South America, there's some divisions there as well. But I'm going to cheer for Argentina against England. I'm going to pick Argentina and I'm with you on the New Zealand. I think New Zealand beats South Africa just because I'd like to see, I don't like to see back-to-back world champions. And I think it'll be, um, should New Zealand win it, it'll be fun to see in the build-up to the 2027 Rugby World Cup in Australia, how New Zealand can just dog their neighbor to the east of them in Australia and the little bickering that goes back and forth between wallabies and kiwis and, and what have you and bears oh my but anyway for alistair kirsch pool please you got to close it out man we're not going to see you for another two weeks take us home man yeah for john fitzpatrick i am alistair kirsch pool and this has been an episode of the glorious rugby podcast catch you guys next time Bye.